during the interview and a few occasions the issue of concentration comes up. So I'd like to speak a little bit about it. Some of you meditating with the concept, with the idea, the view that we need to concentrate. And the idea of concentration here is to cut off certain things, don't have this, don't have that, so that you have a very, very limited area of attention. So I'd like to talk about the word samadhi as I come to understand both in practice and in theory. For a long time, I thought the word samadhi meant concentration. The English word concentration, there are a few meanings for it. And since the word concentration is used in the context of meditation, which is a very much a mental work, so naturally I had the idea of the word concentration. The mind took the meaning of concentration along the lines of those meanings that has to do with mental work. There are some other meanings for the word concentration, like, for example, what's the concentration of this chemical, or this salt solution? Is it very concentrated with salt, or is it not so concentrated? That's another meaning of concentration, right? But we won't think of that, correct? There's another meaning of concentration, like to concentrate your military force in this area. Meaning you bring everything, all your military force, you bring over there one particular place. And that is not about focusing, right? It's not about, I mean, mental focus, just putting things in one place. So, but naturally, my idea of concentration, since it has to do with paying attention, is to focus your attention in a small spot. And so, my practice of meditation, when I had a strong idea of that, it went along those lines. The idea that you need a lot of concentration, need concentration, need concentration. So I did a lot of that. At the time I was practicing what we now call the Mahasi method. So usually the Mahasi method involves a lot of observing of the body. So I watched the body, trying to keep the attention here. In the beginning it wasn't that bad because I still had fairly good ideas. But as time went by, I just thought, I'm not doing good enough, so I need more concentration. So this idea became stronger and stronger. And I found that I was uh, able to do it. First retreat was okay, second retreat was very, very pleasant. Third retreat, I wanted to do better. <laughs> so that's where things went wrong, <laughs> when I wanted to do better. And especially at that time, I brought people to the meditation retreat. I mean, at that time, I was in university, so there were juniors that I brought along there. And uh, being the senior, I wanted to be, I wanted to impress the others. So I was very diligent. I tried very hard. And I tried to focus and get concentrated a lot. And I got myself into very strange phenomena. I was trying to concentrate on the breath. And I was watching the inside movement, and wow, it was very interesting. And I wanted more and more, and get more and more and more concentrated. So it's not just about the idea of concentration, there's a lot of greed involved. So eventually it came to a point that something's not right already. Right? There's a lot of tension involved in the head. And it got so bad that when I sat down, I couldn't sit up straight. Once I pay attention, I notice there's this pulling sensation. And the mind will zoom into it, get concentrated into this tension, and the body will bend forwards. I'm conscious of this happening, but it's like, this bending forward is not something that I try to do. It just goes like that. 
Then I have to consciously pull the body back up. Then it goes back. I pull back up, it goes back. If I don't try to meditate, it's okay. But once I try to meditate, yeah. And when I walk, it felt like I was on a ship. I was going, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I thought I was going crazy, you know, at that time. So, chum, 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 see, no. Later, when I reported to the teacher, he said, somewhere along the line, you push yourself too far. <laughs> said, and that's true, it was true, definitely. I pushed myself too far because I wanted concentration. I thought I was doing the right thing. Of course, greed was there to have more things, to get some bizarre experiences which a lot of people like to have so that they can talk to their friends about it. <laughs> but there was one thing. So after that, this tension lasted for a few months. Even when I tried to read, immediately the mind and the tension comes in. So I can't last for five minutes reading. It took me a lot of time to normalize. It took me a few months. So after that experience, the next meditation retreat was already, there's a fear there. And some of you, I noticed, you have that too. If you had a very unpleasant experience in your past retreat, then the next time you go to the retreat, you have that fear coming up. Am I going to get into that again? It doesn't have to be in a meditation retreat. It can be happening to any other thing. So if you had a very unpleasant experience in one place, you go to that place, you have a fear again. So for me, it's about this. Then later on, I became a monk. I'm still having the idea that samadhi means concentration. So at that time, I had this headache because of this tension. This tension didn't go away. And it was made worse by staying somewhere unsuitable where there's a lot of radiation and somehow the nerves were damaged. So in this place, I practiced and there was a lot of tension going on in the head. And so going according to the instruction is to pay attention to whatever physical sensations or whatever is prominent. So since this was prominent, to pay attention there. So the idea was to concentrate, so I concentrated. And so I noticed at first it was like tension like this. Then as I paid attention more, then I felt like it was more like hitting like this. Then I thought, oh, okay, that means I'm more concentrated now, good. So, because when you get concentrated, you get different experiences of a sensation. So as I noticed that, okay, after watching this for so much, enough already, now time to get more concentrated. So try to... Zoom in, make it smaller area, smaller area, smaller area, until it was like just one spot. So when it was one spot, paying attention then, then it felt like it was going like that, right? But of course, my fingers can't go as fast as the actual thing, right? Then, oh, okay, good, I'm more concentrated now. Actually, at that time, a bit tired already, you know, <laughs> but still can go, like, I was young, uh, still can go on. So, going like this, like that, like that, and, okay, need more concentration, okay. Watch even closer. Then this thing, if I watch closer, it was like some kind of pulling sensation. It's a pull, 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 pull. Right? Not just a vibration, but it's all. Every vibration is a pulling sensation. Okay? So watch closer. So as I watch closer, I notice that this every pulling sensation is actually a vibration. Within each pull, it is a... 
oh, okay. But by then I was very tired already. <laughs> I couldn't go anymore. That even as much as I tried it, it wouldn't go any further. It was at the furthest I could go. So later I gave up. I heard from a uh, monk later on. He said you can go as far as seven levels <laughs> into this. Uh, but what did I get? Nothing. Defilements were just as much. No less, no less defilements. All I learned was a physical sensation. Maybe if I can go further, I can go into subatomic levels, I don't know. But that's it. What? So what? It's just this thing. And later on, because of this ideal concentration, and also the idea of both, the idea of having to make a lot of effort, you do make lots and lots of effort. It's too combined. That's a dangerous combination. With that, when I was in Burma, I happened to get a teacher who can't speak English and I had to rely on the translator who wasn't good. And I think the teacher wasn't good as well. So I decided, okay, I can't depend on the teacher now to depend on myself. So I did whatever ways that I thought was best. Uh. So you need to work very hard and then get concentrated. Of course, you need to be aware as well, but that's not good enough. You need to really put in the effort and get concentrated. And I have difficulty sleeping. I lie on the bed and cannot sleep. Some of you know that experience. yeah. And if I do eventually fall asleep, I wake up two hours later. Then I try to go back to sleep. Then I wake up two hours later. So you can imagine it wasn't a very peaceful sleep. And sometimes the waking up, it was like kind of a bit of a shock. So I knew something was wrong. Something wasn't right. And I couldn't talk to this to the teacher as well. Because the translator had an idea that you're not supposed to report about those things. You're supposed to report about rising and falling. Anything else you know, okay, good enough. <laughs> so sometimes I've noticed I say five things to the translator, only one sentence gets through. And I don't even know whether he's translating what I said. And I suspected that sometimes he wasn't translating what I said, he was just trying to please the teacher. So, while not being able to communicate with the teacher, I was very, very frustrated. So I just carried on doing my own thing until I realized, wow, I need to go and see the doctor. This is no good. So I went to see the doctor. They had an in-house doctor as a retired doctor, volunteer. And after listening to me, he gave me some anti-anxiety pills, which is a big joke. People usually have anxiety, then they go for meditation to ease the anxiety. I went the other way around. <laughs> But the pill did wonders. Just half a pill before sleep, pop in. Wow, I had great samadhi. <laughs> I was very, very relaxed and peaceful and I slept through the night. So after that experience, I realized the way I was practicing was definitely wrong. Can't be right, ma. Can't be right. So I just had to find some way. I was trying this way and try that way. How to get myself out of this? So I went to another place after the Vasa. I went to Seattle Dejania. Until now, is my teacher, and he guided me out of it, and I was able to untie the knots. And I learned that over there, it's kind of a meditation hospital where people get tied up in knots elsewhere. They go there to be untied. Not just foreigners. Some people might think only foreigners are so complicated, they get tied up like that. Burmese locals also have many gana like that. Then they go there because they heard from other people, oh, here is the place where the teacher can teach you how to untie. <laughs> Back in their place, they don't know how to do it. 
So that was the hospital. Until now, the teacher thinks that that place is a hospital. (laughs) So over there, I learned different things. The first time I went there, I didn't get to learn a lot except to learn how to untie myself, which was very important too. It was necessary. So it was later on I learned that samadhi is not best translated as concentration. He preferred the words stability of mind, which is what you find in the book. Yeah, Stability of mind. And I contemplated on it, and I decided to take that idea. Since the old idea doesn't work for me, it's not helpful to me. So I took that idea. So stability of mind. And I applied it, and wow, this seems to be... Well, at least it doesn't cause suffering. It seems to be better. (laughs) So from that side, the practical side, I was questioning this translation of samadhi as concentration, at least concentration in the way I understood it, I interpreted it. That is the practical side. And eventually, through Bhantia Gachita, I also come to learn Pali and all that. And eventually, I look into the word samadhi itself. What does it mean? Okay, samadhi is a noun which we often find being translated as concentration. Now this noun comes from a verb, samadhiyati. Samadhiyati is a passive verb, and the active verb is samadhati. Samadhati has two parts to it. Sang means together. Some of you may know sangyuta nikaya, right? Put together and tied, you know, it's like connected together. That's the same sound. Then, adhati. Adhati means to place. To place, to put down, place. So, to place together, that's the meaning of samadhati. And samadhati, the passive one, is be placed together. Be put together. So, samadhi is putting togetherness, literally. They're putting togetherness. So, I was trying to figure out what English word could that be. And I checked the thesaurus and all that. So, I got togetherness, gatheredness. Sound a bit strange. Eventually, I found a word, a suitable word. I found one word called collectedness. Collected means put together, right? Yes? It's collected. So collectedness. Collected will be a good translation for samadhiati. And samadhiati is to collect. Collect means to put together. So besides collectedness, I found another word will be composure. Composure and collectedness is the same. And the word composure and the word collectedness is often used to mean a state of mind. That is composed, that is collected. Not all over the place. When you say, oh, the mind all over the place, huh? Uh, that is no samadhi. Yes. The mind all over the place. So the opposite of that is the mind that is not all over the place, but is put together. Because the mind is not just one. This mind is this mind, that mind. You know, you know. Hmm? There is a wanting mind, there is an anger mind. There is. So the mind is put together. So imagine the mind that is collected. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whomever you are with, the mind that is collected. Does that feel good? So I came to see that the word samadhi actually means that. 
When the mind is collected, then it can become clear. And it can see things as they are. This is the thing that is necessary, not concentration. But actually, you can use the word concentration if you understand it correctly. Concentration to mean that the mind that is put together, not. But usually, we understand the word concentration not in this way, right? We understand the word concentration to mean focus, because like, concentrate on your homework, concentrate on your studies. Means pay attention very hard. <laughs> That's how usual understanding of the word concentration. So naturally, we will apply that idea into it. So when we speak of jhana, first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana, as I see it now, it is not about more concentration; it is about more composure. But with the composure, you can be concentrated if you want to, because a composed mind is very malleable. In the text, there is this term samahita citta. Samahita is a sort of like a perfect tense of samadhati. So it's also collected. It's a collected mind or composed mind. And this collected mind or composed mind, one of the things that is mentioned, is described as being malleable, mudu buddha. So malleable means it's flexible. It can be like this. It can be like that. It's not rigid. If you're practicing meditation and find your mind getting more and more rigid, wrong direction you're going. It should become flexible. So a flexible mind, if you want that mind to be concentrated, it can. If you don't want it to be concentrated, also can. You want to think, can. You don't want to think, also can. That malleable. So, first jhana to fourth jhana, as I see now, it's not about getting more and more concentrated, but becoming more and more composed. But we don't have to think about, or oh, whether I'm in the first jhana or second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana. You don't have to think about that, because any one of them can be used to gain insight. That's why Ajahn Tanisaro, he wrote about his teacher. He rarely even used the word jhana. It's not so important to know which jhana you're in. More important to know what do you do with whatever state of mind you're in. So he wrote this article titled "Jhana Without the Numbers." Forget the numbers. <laughs> the word jhana actually means meditation. Jayi, that is the another noun. It means a meditator. Jayati simply means to meditate. So, if you're meditating, you're doing jhana. But of course, it may not be first jhana. Or second jhana, third jhana, maybe 0.5, or maybe 0.2. It needs to upgrade to version one. <laughs> right? So meditation is jhana. What I've come to see. I researched into this thing. At first, my aim was very, very modest, just to write a few articles to convey the proper translation and certain ideas about how people understood jhana now and how jhana was understood in the suttas. How is it different? There are two kinds of jhana. I just wanted to write like two or three short articles, and but eventually it grew longer and longer. And now it's 32 pages long. <laughs> the last time I told somebody it was only 16 pages. Now it's double already. <laughs> 
I'm trying not to make it longer. The longer it is, the less people are going to read it. So I'm trying to make sure I don't go further. But I don't know. <laughs> Something could happen. <laughs> so that's why I want to tell you that samadhi is not about concentration. So don't try to do that. Even if you can gain concentration, it's not about trying to force the mind, restricting the mind. That can be done. You can do that. There is one kind of samadhi uh, that is done by force. But this samadhi has a danger. This samadhi involves a lot of grasping. It has to rely on something. It holds on to some object. And it has to be a mental object because the mind cannot hold it on the physical object. So it's a holding a mental object. So it could be some idea that the mind creates. A popular way would be to focus on your breath. The sutta talks about being aware of the breathing, more like the breathing. And well, the popular way is to focus on the particular sensation of the breathing. Eventually then it is some special thing. The mind creates something which we call the nimitta, often called the minimitta. And um, the instruction is to eventually get absorbed into this image. In order to do that, the mind needs to hold. So the danger with this kind of practice as seen over and over is that the tendency to hold this thing would not stop when you get out from your sitting. This tendency to grasp will continue. So if you eventually grasp on something that you dislike a lot, then the anger will just shoot up. If the mind grasps on something that the mind likes a lot, the desire also will shoot up. That's something that happens. Uh, it's, it's noticed. It happens again and again. But this does not happen with composure. It's a different thing. With composure, then the defilements cannot make use of this mind cannot sort of latch onto this mind and then do its thing. Because composure is just not the same as defilements. They are different energy. The defiled energy is agitated. It is murky. There's a lot of force, things like that. Whereas composure is very flexible, relaxed. It's a very different kind of energy. So don't try to concentrate. And don't worry if you're not concentrated. In fact, don't worry if you're not anything. Whatever situation that your mind is in right now is okay. So long as you can be aware and you're not involved with what is happening. You're neither involved nor you're trying to get rid of it. You're not getting lost in it nor you're trying to get rid of it. These are two extremes. The middle path is not about trying to get rid of things, pushing them off. Neither is it about getting lost in them, submitting and uh, being involved. So it's not this, not that. The middle path is just being aware of what's happening as it is. So if the mind is, at this moment, very messy, it's okay. Don't get involved with it. Don't try to get rid of it. But if you notice the mind doing that anyhow, because of some conditionings that are already there, maybe some ideas that this is not supposed to happen, I'm supposed to get rid of this, and therefore naturally the mind will try to do that. Then notice it, notice this act and this attitude going on. If you can be aware of it, as I've said many times during the uh, discussions, if you can be aware of it, then 
it is not like behind pushing you. When you're aware of it, it's in front. Sort of like, no, in the mind, if nothing is in front or behind, but sort of, I have to say, like, you can be aware of it. So if this one thing is there, then you know that this one thing is there, it's doing this and this disliking is there, it's doing that. So then you're sort of a master of them without trying to control them. And the least is you're not a slave of them. You're not conscious of them. They're behind you and pushing you, making you do this, do that. So just if you're conscious of what's happening, you're right. This is just nature. It's like a storm. Inside also got storm. Outside storm, inside storm. Sometimes inside stormy weather. But as all storms, they come and go. Don't argue with the storm. But this storm a bit strange. The more you argue with it, more. <laughs> more storm. Right? Because the arguing itself is putting in more. You can't deal with defilements with more defilements. If you do so, then of course more defilements, not less. You deal with defilements with the right attitude, with wisdom. That's how you can deal with them. Our job is not to fight. So are you clearer about this? Any question? Okay, let me talk about anapanasati. Anapana means breathing. Anapana, anapana, anapana. It means breathing. Hmm? So there are few parts to the instructions of anapanasati, the basic anapanasati. Let me just divide it into two parts, generally. This first part tells us about watching the breathing. As you breathe in, you know that you're breathing in. Now it doesn't say, watch here or watch here. It doesn't say anywhere. It just say, as you breathe in, you know you're breathing in. That's all. Which is a whole lot more relaxing compared to having to focus on any particular spot. Right? As you breathe in, you know you're breathing in. As you breathe out, you know you're breathing out. Very simple. Then it goes on to, if you breathe in long, know that you're breathing in long. If you breathe out long, know you're breathing out long. If you breathe in short, know it's short. If it's out short, know it's short. And just like kind of familiarize yourself with the breathing. The first part is it says to know, right? And after that, it changes. It says to train. In this part, it talks about breathing in, I experience the entire body. Breathing out, I experience the entire body. Now, it is not so much as to pay attention to the breathing anymore. It is experiencing the entire body. The commentaries take the word body here, gaya, to mean the breath body. But it doesn't make sense here. Since earlier on you have been paying attention to the breath, so what's so different about this one? If it is experiencing the breath body, the body of the breath in that sense. So it has to mean something different. And the next part makes it even obvious because it says, breathing in, I tranquilize the body. Breathing out, I tranquilize the body. You don't tranquilize the breath. How do you tranquilize the breath? It's the body that becomes more tranquilized, isn't it? Pasambayang kaya sankarang pasasisami disikati. You train thus as you breathe in or breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formations. And bodily formations here, sankara, could mean all those 
sensations in the body. When you get very tense, there are a lot of sensations in the body, right? So as you breathe in, you uh, tranquilize this, all this tension. As you breathe out, tranquilize the tension. The wind element, that's also a sankara. So that's how I understand it. So if you read it as it is, it doesn't carry the meaning of getting concentrated on one particular point. But if you read it with past perceptions, what you have been taught, uh, what it means, then it would seem like that. But if you come to it with a fresh mind, you don't see it that way. There's one Nepalese scholar who is also a practitioner. He wrote a book in 1980-something. I think it was published in 1984, if I'm not mistaken. He was practicing yoga and all that, Hindu kind of practice. Then he decided to explore Buddhist practice. So he didn't have a teacher, but he had access to some books. So he read up the books. And he found that, hey, how come this Buddhist teaching, uh, the later texts and uh, the early texts, they're talking about different kinds of jhana. And he wrote that in this book. And he said, if you were to examine them closely, you'll find that the contrast is very obvious. One is about getting very concentrated and absorbed, and the other one is not. But that information rarely got out. I have that book down there. So, But eventually, later on, there's also a more recent book a few years ago. American meditator and also a meditation teacher wrote a book, and he made a comparison between Visuddhimagga Jhana, or what they call the late Theravada Buddhist text Jhana, and the early Buddhist text Jhana. And he made a comparison, and he drew a table noting the differences, making points of contrast. And I was inspired by that, and I drew another table extending it <laughs> and made more points of contrast, which I'm putting in my book. So there are these two different things. When we read the word jhana, we need to understand what does this person mean by jhana. Is he using the word jhana in the late Buddhist context or the early Buddhist context? If you don't recognize that, then you can get into a lot of arguments as to whether jhana is necessary or not. But once you get to see that there are two different things, you realize that this whole debate about jhana, whether it's necessary or not, is completely misguided because they are talking about two different things using the same word. So that's where the confusion occurs, and that's where a lot of argument occurs. But once you see it separately, you say, oh, you're right, you're also right. <laughs> you say, oh, this jhana is like this, Yes, and this jhana is not absolutely necessary for awakening. Right. And you say jhana is necessary, and it's like this. Oh, you're also right. <laughs> but if you confuse the two, then you get very confused. Yeah? A lot of people I know, because these teachers say that, yes, jhana is necessary. This teacher says, no, not jhana is necessary. You get very confused. Yeah. Sometimes I pity you, Belessa. <laughs> That's why I'm writing the book. I don't need to write the book for me to practice. <laughs> Okay, I think that's enough for today.